welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, Mr. Keith Norris, a former collegiate football player, elite strength and conditioning expert with over 35 years of experience. He's also a highly successful entrepreneur in the health and wellness space. He's the co-founder of the largest paleo conference in the world, Paleo FX, as well as a partner in one of the most innovative lines of boutique training studios in the nation, Efficient Exercise. He's also a partner in ARX Fit Training Equipment and a founding member of ID Life. In his spare time, he authors one of the top fitness blogs in the health and wellness sphere called Theory to Practice. Now, I had the opportunity to meet Keith at the Ancestral Health Symposium in 2014 at UCLA, and also the honor of speaking at Paleo FX in 2015, which is really a phenomenal collection of the best of the best in nutrition, fitness, and functional medicine. So if you haven't heard of it before, then I definitely suggest you check it out. Uh, in this episode, Keith discusses some of the hurdles that he's had to overcome to launch his many successful businesses his secrets to success, and the one thing he believes all entrepreneurs truly need. He also dives into his three principles of training, how to look good naked, mindset hacks to achieve your health, fitness, and entrepreneurial goals, and also gives us a little glimpse into his daily routine. Keith walks a walk, so listen up. He may just transform your life. Keith, thanks so much for taking the time out today. Really appreciate it. Great to have you on the show. Dude, good to be here, Mark. Now, Keith, you're an expert in the nutrition, fitness, health spaces, and you're also a highly successful and serial entrepreneur. Now, how did you get started as an entrepreneur? What, what began that journey? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the short answer is I was in corporate America for a long period of time, having come out of the military um, and went into pharmaceuticals. Um, and, you know, at, at the time that I went into pharmaceuticals, I was younger. It was, you know, this is, wow, way, way back, um, you know, 25-ish years. And, you know, at the time I went into the, to the pharmaceutical industry, I really felt like I was doing humanity a service. Um, and, you know, at that time, we just didn't have the information out that we have today. And, um, the, the only information I had access to was, you know, filtered through big media and, you know, like, and I understood pharmaceuticals to be life-saving interventions. And that seemed like something that I wanted to get into. Um, you know, to fast forward a little bit, I rose matriculated up through the, uh, through the ranks and started to see the kind of the ugly underbelly of what pharmaceuticals could be. Um, and it was you know, it was at first a shock and then it was, and then, you know, quite frankly, it pissed me off um, because I knew that there were other ways to affect health other than what we were doing. And I saw where research money was being diverted and it just wasn't towards the next life-saving antibiotic. Let's just put it that way. Um, It was in, in lifestyle, um, you know, the next Viagra, and it was looking to just kind of maintain the system of sick care that we have. So all the funding dollars were going to towards interventions that would just kind of maintain that sick care system. And I, you know, at that time, uh, Michelle and I, you know, we had four kids, uh, we had the mortgage, we had, you know, we were, we were caught in that, we caught in that trap 
that a lot of people find themselves in. Definitely. And, and really we, you know, together we just, we made a decision that we were going to bail on this system. Um, we didn't know exactly what we were going to do, but we knew that this wasn't it. Um, but we had to, you know, it, it, it wasn't an overnight thing. We had to plan for this. Like I said, we had kids, um, you know, we had to get them up and out of the house and, you know, get, let them fly. Um, and we were also caught in the, in, in the, the whole economic system. Right. So we had, we had gone through the, the dot-com boom and bust. Um, so I, you know, I tell everybody that, you know, we lost our asses in the stock market, (laughs) recovered, recovered what we had. Um, we're now in the, you know, in real estate because everybody knew that real estate wasn't going anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, and you know, we, we really bailed on the system at the bottom of the housing crisis and it was really a a, a test, you know, it was like, are we really going to do this? Do we believe in this enough to bail at the bottom of this market? And we lost a lot. I'll just put it that way. And that, you know, that's not to, to whine and cry, but that is to say that we were, that we had a heavy conviction that we were actually going to get out and do what we wanted to do. And, and again, we didn't know exactly what that was, but we knew that being in the system, so to, so to speak, and I'm using air quotes that don't transfer well on podcasts, but nice. that, being, <clears throat> that being caught up in the system wasn't it. And uh, that, that just launched us. And we knew it had something to do with the, with the kind of the grassroots paleo community that was starting to take root at that time. And we knew it had something to do with that because we believed in that system. And, and when did that sort of switch flip in terms of, I mean, you've always been into, you know, nutrition and, 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 and fitness and whatnot, but when did that ancestral template really start to, to make sense and, and become sort of a platform for all the things to come for you? Yeah, well, it, it really started for me back in um, the late 90s. Um, and it was just, you know, I was I was always heavily involved in strength and conditioning and performance and the nutrition side of things. And I had a uh, I had a, this understanding of how carbohydrates could affect a human body um, in, in the performance realm, in the weight gain, weight loss realm, and in the the, the athletic performance realm. So I I, I saw firsthand and had coached people through manipulations of diet as it had to do with performance. Um, and to tell you the truth, the, the health aspect of that just wasn't on my radar. I, I, I had not connected those dots and it wasn't until, you know, getting on these, getting on these first uh, message boards and such and running into people like Rob Wolf and Art Devaney that I started to go, Oh, there is a connection between, the foods that we eat and health. And that sounds crazy to say now, but at that time that correlation just wasn't there. And if it was there, it was wrong. And in, in, from my, from my background, I, I knew enough to knew that the prevailing information at that time, it was wrong. It was just simply wrong. I didn't know what the right answer was, but I, I knew that the popularly understood answers were wrong. Um, and, and so, you know, I started diving down that rabbit hole with the likes of uh, Rob Wolf, Art Devaney, and, uh, you know, just went on this path of discovery after that. And it's been an uplifting path. It's been an illuminating path. And I'm so, so glad that I've, that I found it. 
Yeah, it's amazing how even in medicine today, you know, practicing physician here in Toronto, this idea of food as medicine or, or starting with even your first line therapy as food is still sort of a novel and and, and new approach when, it, you know, from an ancestral perspective sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It does totally make sense. And what's what's wild is, you know, we're, we are kind of in an insulated bubble right now. So, you know, I'm talking to you. I, I would imagine most of the people that you run into buy into this idea and 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 realize the, the truth in it. Um, but then you get out into the, the greater world and you, <laughs> you understand that, wow, we have a lot of work to do yet. <laughs> a lot. Definitely. Um, now for yourself in terms of deciding and knowing that obviously this was going to be a passion and overcoming some major hurdles. I mean, you just mentioned in terms of financial and everything else that takes a lot of uh, conviction. I mean, even people who have um, jobs they don't enjoy that are well-paid struggle to, to, to shift yeah. over. So, you know, what were some of the things in terms of when you're as, as a young entrepreneur getting into it, what were some of the, the systems or, or the things that you leaned on? Um, other people. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not the smartest, uh, not the smartest person out there at all, but I, I do know myself well, I know my shortcomings and I know that if I am going to pursue an entrepreneurial endeavor, I bring a certain quality to the table and I lack certain qualities. Um, you know, just, just a quick overview. I am for better or worse, a networker, a connector. I am very, very good at connecting dots across multiple disciplines. Um, so that's a positive. The, the negative part of my nature is I am the worst money person you can imagine. Um, I am the worst practical person you can imagine. So I'm that guy at the table who has all these wild ideas and wants to run in a thousand different directions. So I have to have partners that pull me back in <laughs> that are like, great idea, not right now. You know, this is, uh, and I am not the day-to-day -day person either. So, you know, from an operations point of view, from a technical point of view, I am not that guy. I realize it and I own it. And so I purposely partner myself with people who, who do bring that quality to the table. And I think, you know, if I, if, if I was to, to give a young entrepreneur one piece of advice, it is find out what your strengths are, but own your weaknesses as well. And then partner with the right people who can shore up those weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, I know a lot of, you know, whether it's young doctors, trainers, nutritionists, uh, uh, startups, you know, trying to figure out how they go from that one person to having multiple members on the team. And you just mentioned, obviously, having a team that complements your own um, qualities is a major, a major player. Uh, is there any other reasons, specific reasons why you think that some young entrepreneurs might uh, or people starting up a business or whatnot might might fail? Yeah, so it's it's lack of conviction and passion. So the only reason that Michelle and I succeeded because it it was hard. Um, it was super super challenging financially. It was challenging in a relationship aspect. Um, but we always say, and I tell people all the time, and Michelle and I joke about this too that we that we shut down paleo FX so many times after <laughs> the first three years, because it was like in literally the first couple of years, it was a week to week thing. It was like, can we keep this thing on, on, you know, on just breathing for the next week or are we going to have to shut it down? Um, in the people that came on early on, you know, our first, uh, 
the first person that came on, um, that we were actually paying. Um, this was a person who had come out of academia. Um, this Alex Baia, um, and had a had a very very good job. It, it, he was set, um, but he wasn't happy in the job he was in, and wanted to partner up with us. And we said, look, this is this is a day to day thing. We cannot guarantee you anything. I can't guarantee you this thing's going to be afloat next week. This is just the nature of startups. Um, and so if you don't have the, the ironclad stomach to be able to, you know, to ride this roller coaster, it is not, it's not for you. And the only thing that got us through is because we truly believed in this movement. We truly believed that people wanted to take control of their own health if they only had the correct information. Um, and so that's what we set about to do to, was to try to put together a collective of people who independently had very, very good information and gather all these people together in a group and let that information disseminate amongst the people and let them run with it. And that was our, that was our passion. And that carried us through yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you see so much in the space of uh, ancestral paleo, whether it's functional medicine, even, you know, fitness, nutritionist, this, you know, that passion, that conviction is definitely a, a strong point, uh, as you mentioned, to, to just be wanting to do these professions where, you know, you might not be rewarded as much as the time and the effort you put in, but the love of it is kind of pulls you through. So that's, that's a really great yeah. insight. Now, for yourself, I mean, obviously, with all these different things going on in terms of organizing your time, your commitments, are there any you know, tips or tricks that you use for, for productivity, for efficiency, for not, you know, getting drowning in all the, all the details, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And again, I'm not the operations person, so I'm not the, uh, you know, I am the anti Tim Ferriss probably to where I don't have any set routine. I don't have it. I don't have, I have my own systems that work for me. You know, I'm still a pen and paper guy, um, which looks very, very antiquated, but it works for me. Um, I have a system that incorporates uh, Evernote. Uh, it, it's a combination of of, uh, of Google, Evernote, and pen and paper, and that's about the best I can put it. And if anybody else looked at it, they would they would say that is the most inefficient <laughs> system that anybody could devise. But it works for me, and I think uh, productivity to me is a. And, and I'm a I'm a writer as well, so. I understand that one of the biggest selling genres out there is the how to write books, right? So, uh, you know, how, how does Stephen King write? How does Cormac McCarthy write? What is, what is his systems? What does he do when he gets up? What's his, the first thing he does? And it, as you look through these, you find that these people are wildly different. Some people write first thing in the morning, um, you know, before anything, when they're, when they're still in that kind of, fog of uh, between sleep and not fully awake. Other people write late into the night. Um, other people write while they're drinking and edit sober. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one of the dictate. That was Hemingway's thing. Nice. Um, but everybody's different. And I think eventually you have to be solid enough in yourself to own whatever system it is that you end up with. And that's not to say that you don't continually look around. I take the Bruce Lee approach in everything, I will listen to anybody's system. I will look at anybody's habits, but I only take what is useful to me and I discard the rest. Um, because at the end of the day, 
it has to work with me and with my psychology and my systems and my day-to-day life, which is, you know, I don't know very many other entrepreneurs who put such a high premium on their fitness. And I do. So if, if there's one constant in every day, I am going to work out in some form or fashion. That doesn't mean that I'm going to blow myself up every day, but that does mean I have to get some movement in. Otherwise, I'm just not a good person to be around. Um, <laughs> and, and I know that. So that's one of the things I have to schedule into my day. Um, just the nature of all the, you know, because Michelle and I both have our net cast wide. We have a lot of different entrepreneurial efforts coming around just because we have so many so many wide interests. I mean, you know, in the, in the health and fitness, that's one sphere. But the other sphere of that is entrepreneurship. And we really believe that this paleo movement is going to hinge on kind of a, a kind of a two engine approach, right? So if you picture a plane with two engines, one of those engines is citizen science, uh, you know, pushing the science forward, uh, new discoveries. But the other engine is entrepreneurship and soulful entrepreneurship. So the entrepreneurs that we work with are those people who are not just about the bottom line, but they are about changing culture. They are about doing meaningful work that may or may not be the best bottom line in the end. In other words, the entrepreneurs that we work with aren't creating the next new mop head or or the next new, you know, whatever in a car engine part. Those are important. Yes. And I don't discount those things, but there's a, another level of passion that has to come in when you really want to change the world. And those are the people that we work with. Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's two, two broad spectrums that, uh, that Michelle and I both work with. And that said, those are two, di- uh, two different mindsets as well. So you're working on the entrepreneur side, you're working on the citizen science side. Um, so yeah, all that is to say that, that my mind in a given day is split wildly, depending on what meetings I'm going to or, or what people I'm interacting with. Um, De- definitely. I mean, it's so encouraging yeah. to see more and more people wanting to, to go down that soulful entrepreneurship route, like as you mentioned, you know, um, yeah. doing better for the world, but also incorporating their own the diet, exercise, lifestyle, and, and being able to be a, a healthy, uh, vital person to really be able to contribute to that. And I love your advice there for um, you know, building your own system, like taking the information in, but building your own system and figuring out what works for you rather than obviously today, as you mentioned, so many different tips on how to be most productive or whatnot. So, so really working to those strengths sounds like great advice. Right. Now, if we shift gears a little bit to, uh, you know, on the training side of things, busy professionals, people running startups, um, you know, I've read on your, uh, on your blog there, you know, it's, for people, it's not so much the what to do, it's the day in day out roadblocks that kind of stumble, um, stumble people. Can you, can you touch on that a little bit and give us a few examples on the nutrition or training front? Yeah. So, you know, in myself and in the clients that I've trained in the past, it, it always hinges on consistency, right? And I'll, I'll tell my clients coming in, you know, you're going to do this particular movement over and over and over and over. And it might seem mind-numbing to you to do this particular movement over and over and over, but that's what works. It's not novelty, right? The body does not care about novelty. Your mind may care, right? But your body does not care. So what we have to do is go through and find the most effective exercises for whatever movement pattern we're looking at and hammer those in and do it over and over and over day after day after day. So 
really coaching comes down to getting people to buy in to consistency, right? To be, to, to kind of go into almost a meditative state when you do this, that working out is a ritual. It's, it's, it's not unlike meditation, right? There's no novelty to meditation. You sit and meditate at the end of the day. That's what it is. There's, you know, so there's different nuances to that as there are different nuances to training. But at the end of the day, it's the doing, it's the doing, it's the doing, it's the, you know, it's the cut wood, carry water idea. I mean, you just have to do the work. And I have seen over time that a lackluster exercise protocol will trump the, the best programming and the best protocol because there's consistency put behind it. That's a great observation. I mean, when I was uh, doing my pre-medical studies out at UBC in Vancouver, I kind of got dissuaded with the, the standard medical approach and so got into personal training, strength and conditioning. And that, that was the biggest thing for me is that people just wanted to almost be entertained while they were training um, right. and, and keep the mind busy. And then, of course, after you know eight or 12 weeks, progress stalls, and now they're upset that they're perhaps not making the gains they want when you this idea of just really grooving uh, certain patterns, uh, working on them over and over again to elicit the response you have. And I always found it ironic that once, even though initially somebody might, um, you know, have a bit of pushback, once they were seeing all those results, as I'm sure you see all the time, all of a sudden now they love the the monotony of the similar movements or whatnot, right? Yeah, totally. And, you know, to take this to an extreme, you look at an Olympic weightlifter, I mean, there's only two movements that they're doing. There's two, you know, there's two competitive moves that they are doing. And they hone that over and over and over again, every day, every day, every day, every day. Now that's a special physical ability. It's a special mindset. But if you look at those people as an example, yes, there's nuances. Yes, there's specialty exercises that they do um, in between, but overall they are targeting two specific movements. And, you know, you can, you can branch out from that to your, you know, your normal fitness enthusiast. And yes, you're going to have a little bit more variety, but it's not going to be the type of variety that uh, that you might crave on, on the psychological side. And you have to be able to you have to be able to rein that horse in, just like in meditation. You have to rein that wild mind in that wants to run everywhere and chase novelty and, and you know look at the squirrel, chase the shiny object. That's not going to get you anywhere. Consistency is what's going to get you from A to B. That's what's going to get you healthy. That's what's going to get you the, the sustained weight loss. And I would say the same thing in diet too. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing um, observation as well. Cause Pierre Roy is a famous uh, Olympic lifting coach up here in Canada and, you know, watching his training camps through the, some of the strength and conditioning colleagues. I mean, you're, you're, you know, the, the, the few variety of movements, like, as you mentioned that they do to create this, you know, phenomenal strength and power is, is just a, uh, mind-blowing in terms of the simplicity of it all so on that note in terms of busy professionals and people trying to you know one of the most common things that clinical practice people come in they just use that sort of i want to look good naked how do i what is the what is the minimum effective dose on the training or nutrition side so what sort of um philosophies or tips or or movements do you start with yeah so i you know from the thirty thousand foot view i tell people that if you want to look good naked you know it kind of boils down to the very, very simple idea. If you've got to lift something heavy, you've got to sprint and you've got to move at a low intensity every day in a lot of it. So if we look at, uh, you know, uh, Art Devaney, who is, uh, who is an economist, uh, by training looks at this through a, through the lens of the power law, power law distribution, right? So the very, very high intensity work 
is super, super high, and we could call that the lifting heavy slash sprinting part of it. But the long tail of that is just the continual movement afterwards, um, the, the very prolonged walks, these kinds of things. Um, and it's not the super high intensity every, every day that will just, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster. But you have to have those, those spikes. That is to say, you can't just rely on the, on the long, slow walking to get you anywhere either. It's got to be a combination of those two. And now you have to find a way to weave that into your normal lifestyle. And you know, that's kind of the tricky part and the roadblock part that I talk about in my blog. Okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to filter this in? What tools do you have available to you? What coaching do you have available to you? How much time are you willing to invest? Um, we have to look at all of these aspects, too. And there's a way to do it for everybody. Um, and there's ways to free up time. I mean, there's uh, so many clients I train who would claim that they don't have any time at all. And you're like, okay, well, you just follow me through. Let's map through what a normal day looks like for you. And there's a lot of it that's just, oh, yeah, I did watch uh, Grey's Anatomy reruns for like four hours last night. Yeah. So I, so the, so I posed the question to him. I'm not saying that's a bad activity. That's, you know, I might think it is, but you might think it's, it's life changing. So I can't make that determination to you for you. You have to make that determination on your own of what time you're willing to give up. Um, but I'm just telling you that's, you know, that's one, that's one area that I see that personally, I think you can give up some time there. Um, and once you so find really some, training, sorry, go on, go ahead. I was, I was going to say really training comes down to psychology. It's the psychology of change. Um, and, and I think if I've learned anything throughout the years, I probably have a PhD in psychology from all the coaching that I've done just a, you know, in a practical sense, how do you coach people through change? How do you give, get them to give up something that's detrimental to their health? to free up time for something that is going to be additive to their health and get them to realize that and understand that the same message has to be given, but in a different way to each different person, because we all accept information in a different way. I could give Mark, I could give you the information in one way that you would totally accept, um, give the same information to another person in a different way and lose them forever. Um, so you have to be able to, to hone in and identify where this person is, meet them where they're at. And if your heart is in affecting change at the end and not to get them to buy into you, and I always tell people, don't believe me, just what I say. I'm not asking you to believe me. I am asking you to trust me for a little bit. And then you're going to see for yourself how this works out. That's all I'm asking. you. I'm asking for a little bit of buy-in, a little bit of trust. Don't believe, you know, trust, but verify. But let's make some changes and go forward. Um, yeah. It's incredible once people kind of yeah make that first step, you buy into that little bit of trust as you mentioned, and then you can really start to build up momentum. And all of a sudden, they can almost start leading the um, leading the protocols in terms of their enthusiasm and willingness to dedicate time. Um, now, now, what are some of the you know common themes or, or things that you might layer into somebody's protocol in terms of is it more on the continual movement side initially? Do you find yourself with a lot of you know, busy professionals or people with a lack of time, or is it sprinkling in some more of the high in intensity work? I know it's tough to generalize, but can you can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah, it's tough to generalize. We have to meet each person as they come in. Um, one of my other entrepreneurial efforts is efficient exercise, and that's a partnership that I have with Mark Alexander. Um, and we built efficient exercise specifically for the entrepreneur, the lawyer, the doctor, uh, the busy professional who would otherwise not train because they think that they don't have the time to train. But uh, we train each person as an individual. So that said, when they come in for their initial, initial consultation, uh, we put them through a, through a movement screen. Um, the first thing we have to find out is where are they broken? Everybody's broken. I'm broken to, you know, to some extent, but, uh, generally the people we see are, you know, 30, 35 plus, um, they're generally, you know, driven people otherwise, but they are broken in some respects. So, you know, just, you know, can I get you to come into a full squat? Um, can I get you to hinge properly? Can I get you to, to raise your arms up overhead with any pain um, in, in with good form or fashion? Can you hold stability in a lunge position, so to speak, or, you know, in a, in a, in a bird dog position? Um, it, everybody is broken in some, in, in some respect. And then the question is, okay, given what this person's limitations are, how can I, A, fix that limitation while, B, giving them the high-intensity workout that they need, those, those spots of high-intensity workout that they need to carry them forward? Just about everybody coming in can do the low-level intensity day-to-day stuff that, you know, just about everybody can walk. Or if they can't walk, they can swim. Or if they can't swim, they can move in, in water, in a pool, something of that nature. Um, but, it's, but it's on us to find a way to give them that high-intensity work that they're otherwise missing. And then it's just a stair-step process. Okay, if I fixed your squat, if I fixed your hinge, now those are the movements that I really want to hone in on. And then it's you know picking the right exercise for the person, loading them appropriately, and, and then we're off and running. Hundred percent. I mean, that's just uh, you know progressions and regressions and lateralizations. I mean, that's uh, such a fundamental component. And you know, with various activities, I mean, CrossFit can be great, but we can often see you know when I see people in clinic in terms of just poor movement patterns, as you you mentioned, whether it's squatting. Yeah lifting overhead and then we start loading them in these disadvantageous patterns um you know uh, bad things can happen uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about what you see in, in your practice in terms of trying to patch people up who've been uh who've been either beaten yeah. down from too much work sitting at the desk and the laptop or the other folks who are just put you know really motivated really high level athletes potentially but then they just they just keep pushing that square peg through the round hole yeah, so so we get both sides of the spectrum. So we do get the uh, you know the perpetual desk jockey, and that you know that's a person who can't hinge, can't squat, um, weak core. I mean, just you know across the board, they're just they're just weak across the board, and they have bad movement patterns. Um, and then that's one person to deal with. The other person on the flip side is that person who was wrecked by. Uh, by just say CrossFit, and I you know and I I hate to like camera on CrossFit. I am not a CrossFit hater. I think CrossFit is a beautiful sport for the right person. Likewise. Yeah. Um, it's right. It's, uh, I way early back in the nineties, I was, I, I loved it. Um, but you know, I was, I was a healthy male had, you know, it was a, it was a, a previous athlete, previous football player. Um, so that type of training I could do. And, and I, and I didn't did very well at it, but, and I always tell people, 
it would be disingenuous for me to tell anybody not to do CrossFit, you know, being a formal, former football player, um, from the time I was eight all the way up through college, um, which we can look at football and say, that's a dangerous sport. And it absolutely is a dangerous sport, but it's, but it is a way for, for people to be competitive. And I get that competitive urge and for the right person, CrossFit is a wonderful competitive sport. And I always say it's a competitive sport. I would never tell anybody, I would never tell, tell a soccer mom or a uh, 50 year old entrepreneur to go out and play football to get healthy. That would be ridiculous. Um, and the same thing is with CrossFit. I, I just would not tell somebody who's looking to be fit and healthy to do CrossFit to do that. Now, if they are competitive and they're, you know, and they want to take that chance because there is always a risk factor if you're going to do a competitive sport, always. And whatever, that's part of the allure of competitive sports is because there is a risk factor. Um, and if that's how you want to express your competitive nature, by all means, do it. Just understand that there is a risk factor. But if you're not competitive, if, you, if you're just in this game to be healthy and fit and look good naked and all of these type of things, then CrossFit is not your answer. You need to find another, another answer with much less pro, uh, propensity for injury. Um, so, yeah, so it, all of that is to say, yeah, we get people who've been dinged up by, by CrossFit. Um, and, and so that, you know, that's a whole other animal. Now you have somebody who's, who's pushing the competitive side. And who is, you know, has some kind of injury that we have to work around and then bring them back up from there. Definitely. I mean, kind of the basketball, obviously, we've got basketball players, tall, long guys with uh, poor ankle mobility. So this idea of, you know, really finding the right dose and the right movements is key. Now, if we sort of shift gears a little bit to the lifestyle piece, obviously, nutrition, massively important, movement, massively important. But these low hanging fruit here on the lifestyle side of things, stress management, you know, sleep, um, what are some of the things that you like to prioritize or really highlight with your clients? Yeah. So in personally, I do this as well. So if I, you know, if I emphasize two things in my, or three things, it, it is the, it is the diet. It is the exercise purport, uh, portion. And it is for lack of a better term, stress control for me, that is really sleep. And I am, I, you know, I, there's, so if I will work out every day and make a point of getting some kind of movement every day, I make a point of getting adequate sleep every day. Um, because I know what it feels like to, to go through periods of lack of sleep. Um, I was in the military for many years and, you know, I, I, I tell people there's, there was many times on deployment where the question was eat or sleep. (laughs) <laughs> and it really came down to that a lot of times and many times sleep would come. I mean, you would be just starving to death, but you had to get the sleep in. Um, so, so yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's just those simple things that, that people think that the answer is so very complicated and it's not, it always boils down to simple, simple things, whether it's diet, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's exercise, it all boils down to the very, very simple things done consistently. And I mean, I mean, if you don't have your sleep dialed in, meditation is not going to help you that much to curb to curb stress. Does it help? Yes, but the big what's going to move the needle is getting adequate sleep. Um, so, it, it, yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, we see that obviously in the research when people aren't getting enough sleep, even their blood sugar insulin response to the breakfast the next morning, yeah. the same breakfast they always have, all of a sudden we have an exaggerated response and the cognitive function, yeah. if you're getting less than six hours, sort of five nights in a row, all of a sudden the cognitive function is equivalent to having had too many drinks. So totally, totally on board, obviously on the sleep front. Now, is there a number for yourself that you kind of aim for? Do you, do you nap at all? Do you throw little things like that into, to get uh, all that recovery in? Uh, do I nap? Sometimes, um, and that's, um, you know, I'm like any entrepreneur who something in a lot of, so I live a life that's kind of odd. A lot of my work in networking takes place at night. Um, but I'm also an early morning person too. So there are times where I have to begrudgingly give up hours of sleep. And if that, if that happens, I'll nap during the day. Um, generally for me, it's, seven-ish, between seven and nine hours. I'm at a point now, um, and this has just been in the last six months or so, where I've been able to just go to sleep when I'm tired and wake up when I'm, when I just naturally wake up. And it has been generally seven to nine hours. Um, that will, you know, obviously the length of time that I, of sleep that I require hinges on a how hard was my workout and b how hard and how stressful was my day you know leading up to that sleep and that's i mean that sounds just like well yeah but uh these are these are the simple things that people <laughs> sure. will, will try to try to avoid but it just you know the body knows when it's ready to get up the body knows when it's ready to go to sleep it's funny um so i i work with many 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 entrepreneurs obviously and you know, one of the big things in entrepreneur circles is, you know, nootropics yep. and which I, which I find, you know, very, very interesting, but in talking with these people and, you know, you're listening to all the nootropics you're taking, I'm like, hold on a minute. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Absolutely. Oh, I, you know, I, I got like four hours of sleep. I'm like, is that general for you? I'm, they're like, yeah, you know, four or five hours of sleep. And I'm like, I wonder just posing the question, if you were to get eight hours of sleep, do you think you would need the same level of nootropic intervention to get you through the cloudiness? <laughs> Absolutely. And that, and that generally causes him to pause for a second and go, well, I don't know. I haven't tried that. Um, nature's, best well, na na be nature's best right? nootropic <laughs> and it's totally free, right? <laughs> right. It, it totally is. But that, that's just the nature of people in general and of entrepreneurs Definitely. I mean, they're just, they're type A people. I get it. I'm a type A person too. They're driven. Um, you know, they want to work 24 seven, 365, burn the candle at both ends. And, you know, because they're passionate about what they're doing and I totally get that. But, you know, part of what we work with, with these entrepreneurs is like, you cannot change the world through a sick body. I mean, this vehicle that you, that you're carrying around in this realm has to be healthy for you to positively affect other people. So just in the same sense that you can't love another until you love yourself, you can't affect another person's health or affect another person's outcome until you have first taken care of yourself. Um, otherwise you're just going to crash and burn and you're, you've changed nobody. Um, well so said, well you, said. I mean, right. So definitely... getting them, I say getting them to buy into that is sometimes tough and that's where the coaching part of it comes in some somehow I have to figure out a way to give you this message to where you will accept it and I will push you away. Um, yeah. hundred percent. Now I know we both have a deep roots in this idea that 
diet, movement, lifestyle are really the underpinnings of health. And we just talked about, though, you know, the busy professional entrepreneurs really pushing the pushing the gas pedal down as far as you can. So this on the supplementation front, this idea of personalized supplementation, which you're obviously mm-hmm. well schooled in, you know, how do how can somebody really tailor what they might need more of um, versus just getting everything from their diet? Yeah, so there's a couple. First of all, you know, the idea that we can get everything from our diet, you know, I, I wish it were true. I don't believe it. Um, it. Now, that said, I think there is a way to do it, um, but you would almost have to be off the grid and kind of a uh, back-to-the-earth person to be able to do that. I'm totally down with that. In, in fact, um, if, if I were to fantasize about what, you know, my future life would be, it would be off the grid, out in the middle of nowhere, on fertile land to where I could, to where I could crop rotate and livestock rotate. In can you know, could you get all the required nutrients in that way? Absolutely, I think you could. Um, but how many of us are going to be able to do that? Not many. Um, so then the question is, okay, how do I shore up my nutritional shortcomings? And there's a couple ways to do that, I believe. Um, and, and there's, there's different levels of this too. So, um, I, I don't want to get into a big sales pitch, but I am part of ID life and ID life offers a, a way to personalize your supplementation according to uh, your personal profile. So there's one way, um, another way, which is a way more expensive way. And it, it, uh, requires the knowledge and expertise of someone who can go into your genetic data and analyze your genetic data for your methylation cycle hiccups and supplement in that kind of way. Um, and I've, I've done both and I, because I just have access to these people who are, who are able to do that. Um, it had another direction. I was going to go with that. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, we use a lot of the genetic testing as well, and I totally agree with this idea of all these genetic yeah. snips and these little blips in our DNA that we can yes. We yes. just not be able to uncover otherwise. Even things as simple as how quickly we metabolize caffeine. Uh, recently had on a, an expert here at University of Toronto who talked around performance and, and the use of caffeine and new findings showing like 10% of people will actually have a negative impact from caffeine before training. So mm-hmm. just like you mentioned, stuff like that, really finding out the, you know, getting under the hood and figuring out where these uh, gaps might be for that person. Now, for, for your clients that you see, any, you know, one or two things that might be, co- you might commonly use or use more often that you find yourself with the gaps that you uh, uncover? Um, on the performance side of things, I think that both, uh, anecdotally and in the literature, I think creatine is a pretty, pretty safe supplement. Um, I, I don't think you can get any safer than creatine and the performance benefits you get from utilizing creatine. It's very, very cheap. Um, it's for the most part clean if you get it from a good source. Um, so that is one, um, that is one supplement that I can that I can recommend and not uh, you know not feel not feel bad about it at all. Um, I use it daily myself. Um, and the other is proper hydration. I mean, and this again, one of the very very simple things. Hydration, like sleep, is so boring to talk about. I mean, nobody nobody wants to talk about that, right? But hydration is so vitally, vitally important. The problem with hydration is people just generally don't care to drink water. Okay, so the answer to that is 
how can we flavor that water such that you might be more prone to drink it? Um, so most of the people that I work with, I have to fight this battle with them. You know, they'll come in with a Gatorade or a Powerade or something. I'm like, hold on a minute. They're like, I need to hydrate. I get it. You need to hydrate. Yes. I don't know what's going on with it. Right. And so you have the sugar conversation with them. Okay. So what are we, what are we going to do otherwise? And you know, this is, this is another area and this is, this is another reason why Michelle and I partnered with the ID life companies because they also offer a hydrate drink that is totally coconut water based. So you get electrolytes, you get, you know, some mineral supplementation in there. It tastes great and they will drink. And this is, you know, this is not a sales pitch or whatever. And it, you know, ever how you hydrate, I don't care if it's like, you know, squirting in some, some, uh, concentrated lemon or lime in water and putting a pinch of, of sea salt in it. I'm totally down with that. If that's your thing, but one way or another, you need to drink just as one way or another, you need to get adequate sleep every night. So, you know, just from a 30,000 foot view supplementation, that's, that's very, very easy to pinpoint and, and, uh, give somebody just across the board after that. It really, I think, I, I, I think people do themselves a disservice if they try to shotgun supplement. Right. In other words, you know, walking into your local uh, GNC is a vitamin store here. I'm not sure what all is up in Canada, but a GNC like store, just walking in and shotgunning it. I think you're doing yourself a disservice rather than a service. Um, and then we get into the, you know, is the, is the vitamin or mineral in such a way that it can actually be absorbed within the body? Is your gut healed enough to absorb this? Because it doesn't matter what you take in. It matters what you absorb. Um, and I, I was going to jump on the on the caffeine thing real quick. So this is interesting when we look at at uh, genetic profiles. So um, after looking at my my genetics through the through the person who I work with, yeah, he was like, you know, you are a fast caffeine uh, metabolizer. He's like, you you know, if if it were just caffeine, you would have no problem with it. You're a fast metabolizer of that. It does not affect you. The That's every, everybody's is, dreams, the fast metabolizer. That's like winning the lottery. Right. And I, <laughs> I, and I, I suppose in that way I did. Now where I did not win the lottery is the fact that I love, absolutely love the taste of good coffee. Now the, the problem of that is, is um, Ryan Freisinger is a guy that I work with here in Austin. Ryan has pointed out to me that it's not caffeine that's your problem. The problem is the theols in the coffee. You have a problem metabolizing the theols and eliminating those. Gotcha. Coffee is chock full of that. So is the caffeine your problem? No, the theols are your problem. So, you know, and that was, that was something that, right. So then we get, they have to get down and start splitting that apart. So I am begrudgingly, (laughs) begrudgingly (laughs) cut back on my, my coffee intake because of that. But, uh, I bet it tastes tastes really good when you have that, just that one though, right. When you, when you reduce that Uh, amount, it's amazing how you just, you just stare at that cup and enjoy every sip. Right. Yeah. Yep. I make it linger and last. And, uh, I, I still drink more than I should, you know, so I'm, I have these problems too, right? I mean, I have the, the consistency and the compliance problems that everybody else does as well. So I, I'm not perfect at all. And I, you know, coffee is my thing. I battle this <laughs> daily. It's like, I should not be drink, drinking this because of the feels, but you know, damn it, I'm going to have a cup. Um, so it, at least I know the negative effects of it. And at least I have cut back. And, and I think on the other part of that, it has given me much more compassion for people who do have a problem with uh, sugar, say, 
or exactly. uh, not wanting to move or whatever it is. Um, that has given me a little bit more empathy, a little bit more compassion, because quite frankly, in the past, I was just like, just do it. Just do it. That is a great uh, piece of advice for <laughs> docs, strength coaches, nutritionists. It's like, yeah, that, that toughest part, that weakest link for someone until you experience it yourself. But, you know, it's uh, it's an eye opener, right? It is. Yeah, it totally is. Now, yeah, I definitely agree on that. You know, creatine is phenomenal in terms of when you look at what it can do. You know, we use it even in clinical yeah. practice with older populations in terms of cognitive function. It's phenomenal for concussion mm-hmm. support and brain health. You know, it's, it's no wonder why it's not even mandatory for all NCAA football players. Um as it comes to the, the the hydration, I just wanted to quickly ask, do you sort of use the nudge effect with just kind of gradually pushing people a little bit more and more with their hydration, or do you use like a dose that you'd like to see people at? Yeah, it kind of depends on the person too. Again, you know, coaching to the individual. If, uh, you know, some people, it, I will try to get them to build up to, um, you know, build up to a certain, to a certain level. And that'll, de- it, yeah, it just all depends. Right. Um, some people you can take the, uh, you know, I need you at, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, for a, you know, my size person, you know, the thumb rule of a gallon a day, bam. Okay. Can we do that? Can you do that right out of the gate? Some people can, some people are the all or nothing person, but you know, that's, that's the coach's dream, right? I want the all or nothing person. That's the, that's the one in the hundred who is the all or nothing person. Absolutely. The other person is oh, a gallon a day, right? You know, I'm, you, there's no way, you know, okay, well, let's start building up to that. How can I get you to drink water in lieu of whatever other drink you're, you're drinking? Um, you just throw coffee under the bus because that's my big bugaboo right now. But, you know, can I get you to drink water instead of coffee? Can I get you to drink water instead of a soda? Um, can we start implementing this? Um, you know, then they, then the answer is, yeah, I could, but you know, it just does, I don't have that taste effect. Okay. Can I get you to supplement with this uh, coconut water? Okay. Yeah. That tastes kind of good, but it's still not coffee. It's still not Coke. Um, and so you have these, you have to have these discussions as well, but, um, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, it's, you know, how much a day is, I don't think we have a good answer for that. Um, for sure. Definitely. I, 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 I just, yeah, go ahead. Because I, I mean, the, even the art of coaching, which you're discussing there, just trying to figure out how to get people to do various things. I mean, David Cox is our sports psych lead at Canada basketball. And, you know, this idea he always tells the trainers and the docs, it's not like there's a, a new exercise or this specific magical combination of foods that's necessarily always going to push people in the right direction. It's just figuring out how you can actually get the person to do that thing or how you can coach the person up in that movement. So love that. Love that advice. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if we shift it back to you, Eric, Keith, uh, you know, how do you start your day? Is it, is it coffee, tea, bone broth, water in the morning? What, what's the breakfast ritual like? Uh, can you walk us through that? Yeah. So personally, yeah, coffee starts off my day. Um, so I start off my day with my little allotment of coffee. Um, I, I generally will fast until, um, you know, today is unusual because I did have breakfast, but most days I will fast generally late until the afternoon. Um, and that is both by design and it is by, uh, by feel. Um, I have gotten to the point now to where I just eat when I'm hungry, right? I've, and I know what a true hunger response is versus what a, uh, thirst responses. And I think people confuse the two of those, especially when you're just starting them down this path. Uh, 
uh, hunger is easily confused for thirst. Um, so that, so that's one thing, or, um, anecdotally, I found that, uh, it, it's thirst and a, uh, some mineral content, uh, a pinch of sea salt. And, and then, you know, if a person drinks 12, 16 ounces of water with a pinch of sea salt, magically, they don't feel hungry anymore. Now, is that because of the volume in their stomach? Possibly. Um, but I think it's more than that. I think it's that, that they're confusing the thirst and hunger signals. Um, so per- back to me personally. So I will generally fast throughout uh, the morning um, until the early afternoon. I I eat personally. I eat a um, high fat, moderate protein, scant carbohydrate diet. That's what works for me, and that's been through lots of trial and error. Um, all, all of course under the big and blank big. Uh, umbrella of what would be considered paleo. So my diet is paleo. I, I would call it kind of ketogenic paleo. Um, so that kind of narrows it down a little bit. Um, that's what I motor well on. Um, I will periodically have uh, very high doses of carbohydrate, but those doses of carbohydrate generally come in the form of rice, potatoes, um, something of that fashion. And that generally comes following a very, very intense workout, the evening of a very, very intense workout. Most of my eating is done within a couple hour window in the late evening. And then I'm right back into the fast thing again. Um, so that, that's it in a nutshell. And of course, that's not every day that changes. Like I said, you know, as soon as I say that, I, I was like, well, today I had breakfast. So I had, uh, you know, eggs, eggs and bacon this morning. Uh, just because it was offered, and I was like, "I'm not going to pass that up." Okay, that's <laughs> so, good. Um, I mean, so. it's good advice too. I mean, obviously, general platform, but audibles are going to be called all the time in terms of what people are doing, travel wise, work wise. Now, do you typically yeah. train in the evening? You don't train in like a fasted state ever, or, or or sometimes perhaps timing carbohydrates before any of those types of things that you sort of throw in, or? Yeah, no, I don't. I train uh, in the evenings. Um, it's generally by the, the time I've trained, I have had a little bit. So when I say a little bit, it's almost like a snack. Um, sardines are a good go-to for me for like the first meal in the in the early afternoon. Um, so I may train on a uh, you know a can of sardines, um, some high-protein, high-fat leftovers from the night before. Uh, bone broth is a huge go-to for me. Um, I, you know, it, it, again, I, I won the lottery by being married to a chef. So <laughs> that, is, um, that is the lottery, <laughs> right? It is the lottery. So, um, we have a vat of bone broth that is generally continually rolling. Um, so, you know, I'll have a, uh, half a stick of Kerrygold butter and a cup of bone broth and that, that will carry me through. Um, generally that's what I train on. Um, I don't try to carbohydrate preload. In other words, I don't try to anticipate what my workout intensity is going to be by preloading with carbohydrate. Gotcha. Um, I always say that I refuel after the workout. I don't try to anticipate beforehand. Now, now I'm not competing either. So that's, that's another caveat. If I were competing and if I were, you know, uh, running up to a competitive date, that might, that would change. Um, and I would for sure carbohydrate in not old school carbohydrate load, but in a new school sense of, yes, you need some glycogen in your muscle stores if you're going to do repeat power performance um, and be effective at that. Because I think that's a one area where people will run completely off the rails, especially females, is they will try to 
maintain consistent intensity, very, very high intensity in a CrossFit like fashion. So you have, you know, super high power output repeated, um, in a low, uh, glycogen storage state. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Fantastic, Keith. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, today. I know you're a very, very busy guy, and uh, you know it's 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 incredible for me to see all the influences people like yourself have in terms of you know nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, and how that's now proliferating into the medical uh, communities, and even you know from the ground up in terms of people really wanting to start with that that food first, movement first approach. So, um, thanks so much for for all your work, and thanks a lot for taking the time out today. Mark, thanks for having me on. It's a great discussion. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. If you want to check out Keith's work, you can reach him on Twitter at Keith Norris, as well as at PaleoFX, and check out PaleoFX.com for all the latest and greatest on the upcoming conference in May. As always, you can check out the show notes for my performance hacks and layups for today's podcast. Any questions or comments, feel free to reach out at Dr. Bubs on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And until next time, see you then. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.